Select a Resolution, the official podcast of the Restorative Justice Council. Welcome along. And during today's episode, we're going to be asking a very important question around what the future holds for restorative justice. I'm your host, Glenn Miller, and I'm joined today by Becky, Paul, Gemma, Rob, and Jim on this episode here. So over the past six episodes, we've learned more about what restorative justice actually is, and we've also heard firsthand from Gemma and Rob about their experiences in taking part in a restorative process. However, one of the things that we want to explore here is that access to restorative justice isn't as freely available in some areas as it is in others. And we want to look at ways that we can actually address that. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to have a wee bit of an exploration into that question. How can we make restorative processes more accessible to people right across the country? So Gemma, Rob, we've heard your experiences here in regards to the, the process that you went through. And you mean it, it's been extremely positive, you know, listening to how you have both talked about the, the process that you've been through. It definitely comes across as very, very positive. What I'd like to know in terms of your own point of view is why do you think so few people actually take this up? I think it's just lack of knowledge about knowing it's actually out there. Um, I mean, like I say, the first I heard about it was when Becky got in touch with me. So it's, you know, where was, you know, the local police having some... I think it would be the local police around here that they know about it, but they don't know enough about it to actually promote it and say, look, if you do need somebody to speak to, you can get in touch with these who will put you in touch with, like, the Starfish Service or somebody else or give you advice. Um, and I think it's just more training for people on even if it's just a quick over like an overlook of what the actual service does and just say look i don't know a whole lot about it but here's a card for somebody that you can speak to here's a leaflet that you can have a quick read about it even if you put it in the drawer for a couple of months a couple of weeks and then you can get in touch when you feel ready there's there's no start and there's no end date on it whenever you feel the time's right there's the information but this is a quick overview on on what they do um, so if you feel that you that it's something that you want to look at, then you can ring them and ask them for more information, but we don't have a lot of information on it. Yeah, so from your perspective then, you're thinking that it's basically people don't know what's there, they don't really know what it's about, but if we could increase some level of their awareness that that might encourage more people to take this up? Yeah, I think it's increasing a local authority's knowledge base about it as well, um, because I don't even think some local councils know about it. Um, and it's like I say, it's not something that I've that I ever heard of until you know, being unfortunately being involved in the victim of a, being the victim of a crime. It's mm -hmm. I never knew it was there. Sure. Um, so you know, it's something that I've said to Becky several times. It should be shouted from the rooftops that you are here. Yeah. And that it's not just about getting the answers that you want and voicing your opinion over it. It's about the support that you get in the wider part of it as well, like with yeah. the counselling and things like that. And I think it is just a wider knowledge base for everybody that even if you just give somebody, give the victim of a crime a quick overview of what it's about, and if they want more information, he's giving them vitally, giving them that number to ring, to ask for more information, sure. and then they can make an informed decision to say, well, it is for me or it's not for me, yeah. and go from there. And then that could be the foot in the door for that victim getting answers to what they wanted. Yeah. 
Rob, what about you? What, what's your thoughts right now? Why do you think so few people take this up as an option? No one knows about it. No, it's just not a thing that's spoken about. I've been going to prison for nearly 20 years and it took me the last four to, well, last six, seven years now to find out what restorative justice was. Never heard of it. Is it a myth? Is it, what is it? Mm -hmm. Do you know, like if you if you've got problems with alcohol, you ring Frank, everyone knows that. If you've got a problem with drugs, it's the air, everyone knows that. Like, if you're hungry, well, you go there. If you do this, you do that. But if you, if every crime that's committed, there's a victim if down the line, wherever. But no one knows. No one knows about that. That there is restorative justice out there. And like I say, going to prison for all them years, didn't have a clue about it. Didn't have a clue. Okay. Let's bring in uh, some of the practitioners and maybe Jim as well here. Jim, maybe if I, I start with, with you in regards to that, because, you know, Paul, uh, Rob and Gemma have both said nobody knows about this. And then I suppose in our field, sometimes that can be a wee bit hard to imagine and take on board because restorative justice has been around in the UK now for a considerable amount of time. What's your thoughts on this? Because it's something that we hear constantly, is that we don't know about this. We don't know that this even exists. What What are your thoughts on how we can widen people's access and address some of the issues in regards to why people aren't taking this up as an option? Yeah, I mean, lack, lack of awareness is, is central to, to the issue. And I mean, you, you just got to look at the, the stats. So last year, 5% of victims uh, in the, the victim survey said that they were made aware of RJ. 22% said they would have taken it up had they have known. So, you know, it's a minute number of people. Um, but it comes down to timing. You know, it's, do you remember being told about RJ? Well, if you're told about that at the time the crime happened, that that's not the time when you're listening about that. You're more concerned about the immediate aftermath and what's happening then. So part of it, I think, is down to timing. Part of it is how that's sold uh, to you or, or what you're told at that particular time. Um, so that there's a lot of work to do around uh, when the offer is made, how often the offer is made, and, and also at various stages. Uh, through through that uh, that immediate period after an offence, so you could ask on this day, but what's stopping you going back and saying, do you remember we had that conversation? Mm. You know, now you've had time to process this and think about this. Would you be interested in finding out more now? Mm. Um, but there's also a lot of work to do with with people who who make policy. And you know, in, in the last episode, we spoke about. Uh, the soft option and and you know we we know we've got a government at the moment uh, who are very firm on being tough on crime rj is not looking at replacing a criminal justice system so regardless of of whether you think it's a soft option if it's right for the people mm. involved it's not about replacing somebody going to prison for a, for a crime that they've committed it's about supporting the people to to then overcome this and move on and you know we've, we've heard over the last six six episodes from from Robin Gemma 
and quite clearly it's had a huge impact on on both of their lives uh and and you know we won't know what happened what would have happened with with the two of them had they not done this yeah but it's it's an opportunity that they were given that has significantly impacted positively on both of them and and policy makers i think need to understand that rj is more than trying to replace what is already there and i think that's that's the message that that they they seem to be uh, following which is you're looking at, at replacing a criminal justice system no we're not we're looking at making sure that people are supported to move on heal get on with their lives after an event and restorative justice provides a safe opportunity to do that yeah is there something as well in regards to jim just sticking with you there in regards to how it currently high rj currently promotes itself because we talk a lot about the, the the current justice system being an adversarial type thing you know where it's you against someone but some of the things that we even do in our own training and stuff shows up that it's almost put across in an adversarial point uh, a way where it's here's what traditional justice does as opposed to here's what restorative justice does and sometimes we are almost facilitating that narrative that we're here to take we want to replace it but we want to enhance the system is more a case of what we're doing what would you say to that because that's something that i've had to wrestle with as a trainer over the last lot of years is uh, how i actually present it because sometimes you have those tables here's the difference between this and this and that could be seen as adversarial too yeah and you know it 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 is a it is a challenge and, and we're battling against um you know go back 10 years uh when when sort of rj was very high on the government agenda very criminal justice focused big priority you know money put into it action plans were there uh, and and then that that thinking stopped um and i think because it's so closely linked with criminal justice and it's more than criminal justice and and becky said uh, in in one of the early episodes you know it works in criminal justice but it also works in schools and it works mm. in healthcare anywhere where there's harm that has been caused and, and because the ministry of justice took control in those early days it's always been linked with that it's always about mm. crime and and you know in in robin Gemma's uh case yes it was a crime but ultimately we're talking about the harm that was caused because of that thing that happened so that there's lots of work to do around not changing the language but having people understand that that this is around reparation moving on and getting back into your life um and and having support around you to do that and we do it in lots of other areas you know if you're ill you go to a doctor the doctor will provide care and support so that you can lead a full and healthy life. Mm. This is no different. Yeah. You know, this has happened. This is the symptoms of that. And this process can help you heal and, and you know, move on. It, it needs looking at in a completely yeah. different way. I think it'd be good to find out the statistics of people who've come so far as me and Gemma in restorative justice to see how many, how low the crime is compared to people who haven't dealt with restorative justice, just to see 
that the people who come so far as me and Gemma and able to say, and able to say, no, I've committed that crime, I've apologised for that crime, am I going to commit another crime and just let myself down, let the people down, all the people who've worked with me, who've RJ, the victim of my crime, am I going to let them down or am I going to take that breath and walk the other way? And I reckon that the statistics will be a lot lower than people who haven't used RJ in the past. It's that lens approach, isn't it? It's like the idea of looking at if you know if crime is injury, then justice should promote healing. You know, so Becky, Paul, what about you guys? What are your thoughts in regards to this whole idea of one why people um so few people take this up? But maybe starting to lead into the question of what needs to happen in order to make sure that we can raise the awareness of restorative as an approach for people. Um I'm I mean not to kind of um channel it down into just the criminal justice system because we've you know we've already established it's so much more than that you can have restorative conversations everywhere um it's something that can be really embedded into behavior management policies um you know kind of hr processes you know how how we resolve complaints it, the power of it, it's just um enormous i guess in that respect but one of the things that I think does kind of concern us is that some of these misconceptions, I've, I kind of feel like we're, we're constantly battling against those to ensure that people don't receive <laughs> inaccurate information about something and, you know, which will then inform the decisions that they then make about their own recovery from crime or their rehabilitation and, you know, it, it's not just about restoration within relationships. It's about restoring um, somebody back into a pro-social, positive way of living, so into the community. So those um, those messages can be really um, impactive in a negative way, whereas it would, it would be really encouraging to see that that is embedded in policy and it is supported from the top down so that people... Who are, who are likely to be accessing the service from wh whatever um, part of the community are given an equal opportunity with the correct information about what this is. Yeah, I'd just, I'd just like to go back to a point that um, Jim made about when the police potentially first turn up to an incident and someone is in crisis, um, the offer shouldn't be made at that point perhaps but there's always a follow-up so what you could achieve by that is when an offense occurs impacts maybe days months down the line now i'm not expecting those people who first attend to be able to articulate the benefits of restorative justice but they don't need to it can just be a simple look we know this service it's in the victim code of practice to offer restorative services it's how you manage that it shouldn't be too difficult um, i think we're working really well now with our services like in cleveland like divert whereby the probation officers working in that team will say look i'm struggling with this participant could you have a word with them and that's reaping the benefits because obviously that's what we practice so we're able to do that um 
it should be offered at certain points, at certain points. And even after sentencing, there should be that offer. We know that our um, partner organisation with Victim Care and Advice Service, they will discuss this as we will discuss support for participants that they might not have been in contact with because everyone has parameters of who they can contact for you know sheer sheer numbers i think certain offenses won't be even considered for an alternative such as mib let's take hate crime and we've already heard that rj can run alongside the criminal justice system I'd like to know the statistics of those that have gone for prosecution as opposed to those victims who have fallen off because A, they don't want to go to court, B, they have a mistrust of the police and the reality of the court system. Does that then negate the potential education of a perpetrator of a hate crime? Interesting, interesting. Jim... In terms of maybe taking that conversation forward then, I suppose, is that one of the challenges that's facing RGA for the future? Well, yeah, I, I think Paul made a really important point there, which is, you know, what happens to the people who fall between the gaps if you don't report a crime? You know, harm is still caused, uh, but actually, you know, the Victims Code, as, um, as Becky mentioned, has a right in there to access information. But if you if you don't report and ne don't necessarily consider yourself to be a victim, doesn't mean you aren't harmed by what's happened. So so actually, it shouldn't be just the role of the police to to give this information out. You know, you may be a victim of a crime, not report it, but go and see your GP because you feel um, you know anxious, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So why aren't GPs in a position where they can? give this information out they would give that out for counseling and other support services so it doesn't just need to be that and if it's a young person you know why aren't schools more aware again they would refer off to other organizations so so we're from a government point of view we're focusing on a group which are those people who report a crime and that misses a, a big chunk out so i, th I think there, there's so much more work to be done but it needs a, a government who actually want to commit to supporting people to uh, repair and recover from things that have happened to them and, and the victims bill does that in part but it doesn't go far enough and it focuses a specific group but you also just need to look at the wording like uh, you know, restorative justice is mentioned in there, but it's an example. You know, you could be referred off to other support services, including RJ. There's no, there's nothing there to say, you know, this is big and bold and this is what we want. It, it's a few words that may or may not actually make a difference. So, so yeah, there's a lot. Sure. Yeah, it's you saying there about the GP. Um, I think it's more education on their part as well, because like I say, I went to my GP after because I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't eating properly, and et cetera, et cetera. And there was no mention from my GP about RJ or even going to seek counselling about it. It was a case of here's some antidepressants, here's some sleeping tablets, go home and figure it out. So I think it's it's like a an, a, a big education 
program on several different other people that can offer this advice about like you say we we keep saying it's the police but it's not just them they have the first port of call because obviously when they're taking the statement on the day then like like paul said that's not the right time to do it personally if i think if they'd have offered me it when they took the victim statement a couple of weeks six weeks later i might have heard a little bit more about it but gone yeah not right now but then maybe you know after sentencing <coughs> six months later and then six months after that it's a case of okay well we're leaving you with that here but there's the information and then you can get in touch when needed and then it's letting gps know about the same thing you know if you've got a patient that's come in that's had this happen to them rather than just filling them full of medication refer them to this is it's about the victim getting their voice heard and it's getting answers there's i'm looking in the respect that i got the answer to the one question that probably every victim over every crime has got, and it's always why. And I got to get an answer to that because of the RJ system. And it's it's Rob then stepping up and admitting that he is accountable for his actions as well. And it's all one big knock-on effect, but I think it's one big education thing over a lot of different parties. And like you say, schools, why aren't schools getting involved in this? Why aren't schools getting involved with, you know, crimes, hate crimes, knife crimes and things like that? And you teach your kids how to cross the road. You teach your kids the Green Cross Code. Why can't you teach them about violent crimes? And there are answers to this. There are ways around that you can get. Educate the kids as well as the adults, but it's I think it's educating a lot of other people out there. Like you say, the GPs, the police, and even probably school teachers to look into because those kids might have, their parents might have been in something and they might be having the knock-on effect of it. You let the kids know that the teachers, they can speak to the teachers about it and the teachers can then approach maybe the parent and say, look, have you thought about these people? You know, it's yeah. it's like I say, it's like I said before, it's one big ripple effect and it, it only takes one person to mention it to somebody else like the other prisoner did with Rob and look at the knock-on effect, the big domino effect that this has had. Yeah. It's only takes one person to mention it but it's the sort of thing that it should be shouted about from from top to bottom yeah Becky Paul what about you guys what are you what are your thoughts here in regards to what needs to be done in regards to raising awareness of RJ as a process or a service I, I think there's a couple of things for me um I think the the all-party um parliamentary group inquiry into restorative practices has been um, incredible so far and I know that's not complete as yet but the recommendations that came out of that initial report um, we I feel that in Cleveland we're really lucky because as part of our well we we entered into a tendering process um, from commissioners and it was based on those recommendations the you know the the whole idea that you will adhere to what the what the inquiry had recommended which can you demonstrate these and and that's what our whole tender was based on which i just thought was really innovative and and like a like a breath of fresh air really um the core commissioning arrangement between the police and crime commissioner and um the probation service northeast absolutely remarkable um i think that's really really positive and just a refreshing kind of insight into just how well that can work because you're already embedding a commitment to restorative provision within your locality 
and you know you have all that availability of guidance and support and the procedures that come um, from implementing you know those those practices with different providers in that respect which I, I just you know I can't thank our commissioners enough for that opportunity but also within our team we have um, a police RJ coordinator um, Jane that's a Jane's a, a former um, police officer. She's, she'd been in the service for 33 years and she retired and she's come to us. <laughs> so, you know, she's she's part of our team building those pathways with the police and promoting and providing advice to colleagues in the force and really embedding restorative justice within, within Cleveland Police. And equally, we have Nikki, um, who also had... Um, recently retired from a long career in the police force and has returned um, to work for us and is providing the same service but within the courts. So uh, her role is, is, well, concentrated on providing early access to restorative provision. Um, So cases like Gemma's that are going, you know, into the court in that respect, there's an opportunity to to revisit an offer that might have been made in the initial um, aftermath of an offence actually happening, um, but to also try and get on board the support of partners and other colleagues within um, the court setting. So those kind of things I think absolutely fantastic, not to mention Rob's contribution as a, an RJ ambassador um, when he was in custody and hopefully in the community too. Yeah, I'm I'm just thinking back again. I'm showing my age now, but um, I've always regarded restorative justice. If you've got someone at the top of an organisation who believes in it, then it will work. If you haven't, so even a couple of steps down from the top, it's going to be a challenge. Um, And I think the only way you can overcome that is by doing what this service has done, is by going round to those partners and saying, look, this isn't going to take away from what you're doing, so let's take the criminal justice system, it's going to potentially enhance it. You know, when when someone goes to prison, you know, everyone's done the job in that role, from detection, from the police, to then um, CPS, to the criminal justice system. Great. But they're not in prison forever. Yeah. What does that look like? So you're potentially increasing positivity within a community. Um, and I think... The scary thing is, is as Jim's alluded to, that the top really in when we're talking about Ministry of Justice is government. Yeah. If they're not embracing, it just makes our job more difficult. But all we can do is talk about it, do those success stories, locally and nationally promote it and keep plodding on. Yeah. But have victims' voices heard throughout yeah. that. Definitely. I think there's there's a lot of barred even when you were talking about the idea of, you know, even while Rob was in there about him being an, an ambassador mm. around, you know, for that while he was there, um, maybe there's something that we need to look at in regards to how that can be a consistent element within the prison, whether that's through inmates or through, you know, outside interventions and stuff, people coming in, that there is this idea of someone who's championing our cause. Because one of the things that I think it's important for us to highlight as well is, that even though we have got people that you know that are maybe some services in place that maybe don't value the the contribution that our, our restorative justice can make, it actually impacts on their work in the long run. Because 
the after effects of crime in the community generate because what we always thought was hurt generates more hurt. You know, if it's left untreated, you know, we you, we'd made the analogy Gem of going to the doctors and whatever else. If we leave something untreated, then that's going to cause problems for services down the line. You know, and why wouldn't you work with an organize or a grouping of people who can provide a service that will maybe prevent some of that further hurt and harm coming along, um, you know, six months a year, 18 months down down the line, you know, and it comes back to this joint up approach to say that we're not here in competition with you. We're here to complement what you do, you know, and I think that that's, that's extremely important. Jim, I just want to maybe finish off with yourself there in regards to maybe you could give us one major challenge that you think is facing restorative justice. In, in the short term, to change mindsets because talking to, you know, um, uh, the APPG, the all-party parliamentary group, which you said, it, you know, it's fantastic and has done a huge amount for the sector, but they are a group of politicians who believe in RJ. Mm -hmm. So we've won them. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's all of their colleagues are the ones where we need to be spending our time to say, actually, there's the evidence. And, and these are the sorts of decisions that, that you need to make. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of work ahead of us in terms of what we, we need to do. But without the stories of Rob and the Jammers of this world who have, went, who have taken the risk, I suppose, on, on, our, on our restorative justice process, come out the other end and had very, very positive outcomes as a result of that, we need to be promoting those type of impacts to you know as much as we possibly can and uh, so i just want to say thanks very much folks for coming in and sharing over these seven episodes um around your experience and what you what you've got out of that i found it absolutely um fascinating to hear your story um and it's been amazing to, to see the impact and also just to be sitting in a room with two people who have went through a process together, uh, side by side, I think um, is, is, is again, uh, amazing testament to the power uh, of this process. Folks, that's it for this series. Uh, make sure you join us again when we will focus on other aspects of restorative justice and its implementation across the UK through the work of the Restorative Justice Council. And uh, if you're interested in finding out more about restorative justice, uh, then please visit the RJC website, which is restorativejustice.org.uk. Or just do a search on the socials, on Twitter, for Restorative Justice Council, Facebook, etc. And you will find information that will be of use to you as well. So folks, once again, thanks very much for tuning in with us. Until the next time, look after yourselves. Take it easy.